You're listening to The Peak Podcast with me, Christina Roman. We're having real, intimate conversations about the interconnectedness of life. Join us as we discuss big topics like intuition, personal mastery, and emotional wellness and why they matter for you. In this episode, I chat with Sarah Von Bargen, someone I've learned from online for years. Sarah helps people spend their time, money, and energy on purpose, and her work covers everything from personal finances to habit formation to food waste reduction. I mentioned to Sarah at the very beginning of the episode that I brought her on the podcast for her easy-to-implement actionable tips, and she does not disappoint. As it always does on the podcast, the conversation goes in many directions, but we cover three main topics. The first is forming new habits that stick, strategies like bookmark habits, Indiana Jonesing your habits, myths about habit formation, and the common pitfalls when forming a new habit, like being too virtuous. We talk about adopting a no grocery challenge, which is simple, practical ways to cook great meals while reducing your food waste at home, and why it might be of interest to you. Hint, it saves you time and money and it decreases your environmental impact. We also talk about boosting your bank account, a systematic approach to increasing your income and decreasing your expenses without feeling deprived, overwhelmed, or coupon obsessed. Those are Sarah's words. Sarah and I also riff on one of our shared philosophies, discomfort on purpose. In Sarah's words, in life, your success correlates directly to how uncomfortable you're willing to be. You'll be amazed at how getting comfortable with discomfort affects every area of your life. To that, I say, amen. Here are some quotables that stood out to me from the episode. When you fail, you will reinforce the narratives that most of us have. I can't do this. I'm not good at it. Nothing ever sticks. The average American spends $1,500 per year on food they don't eat and throws out up to 40% of food that they buy. Stop shopping for the person you wish you were. And lastly, a lot of my work starts with understanding what makes you happy. All that and more within the episode. Happy listening. Hey, Sarah, welcome to the Peak Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I hear that you're on a big podcast tour around town. (laughs) Yes, yes. Every time I'm on a podcast, I share it on social media. And then I say, hey, if you have a podcast, I'd love to be on it. Um, And then uh, I am joyfully flooded with um, invitations to be on podcasts. So if you if you are listening to this and you want to be on podcasts, that's the big secret is you just tell people you want to do it. See, this is why I brought you on the podcast, because your tips are so simple, so pragmatic and so actionable. Yeah. And, and they and they absolutely work like every I, I swear half the stuff I teach. I'm like, is this should I? I mean, this is obvious. Right. And then I say it. and People are like, whoa, you're totally right. I don't know why I didn't think of that. You know, I credit you with something from years ago that you published once, which was just because you know something doesn't mean that everybody else knows it. Yes. And so, yeah, I still think of that post. I'll have Mm -hmm. to link to it in the show notes already. (laughs) Awesome. Um, Yeah, I I think about that all the time. It's just these little bits and pieces that I bring up in my business or that I bring up with my friends that they've are brand new, brand new information for them or Mm -hmm. things that they've never been exposed to. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. My pleasure. And I would love to just jump in and ask about Habit School. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Absolutely. So Habit School is um, one of my online courses. I run it. um, You can buy it right now. You can buy the DIY self-paced version. Um, I also run a live version once or twice a year. Um, And it's basically a breakdown of how to break or build a habit. 
Um, I love goal setting as much as the next person. And there are certain things in life that are goals, not habits. Um, But the statistics around habits versus goals are really surprising um, because a lot of times when we're, when we say we're pursuing a goal, it would actually be much healthier to pursue a habit rather than a goal. Um, because when you complete the marathon, when you pay off the debt, when you, you know, get married or move in with your partner, many, many people, the majority of people stop engaging in the behavior that got them there. So Mm. they stop running. They stop being mindful about their expenses. They stop communicating their needs and being pleasant to be around because they got what they wanted. And then they sort of fall back into negative behavior. Um, there are studies that as much as much as 90% of our daily choices are habitual. We don't even realize that we're making those choices. I'm sure we've all seen this in our own lives. You know, we're not even buying the latte because we want to. It's just a habit. We're not stopping at Target after work because we want to. It's just a habit. We're not, you know, snipping at our partner on purpose. It's just how we react to them when they talk about that topic. Um, But so if we can break those habits or build better ones, it can sort of put good things in your life almost on autopilot. Hmm. That's really interesting. I've never thought about the distinction between the goals and the habits. So I'm always curious when I talk to course creators how they arrived at the place where they wanted to create an entire course around a topic. Mm -hmm. So how did you start noticing the difference between habits and goals in your life or in the lives of your friends, people you talk to? And how did that end up becoming a full course? Um, well, I would say with habits, I mean, it mostly, it a lot of it started with, there. I had sort of two situations. One being, um, I when I was 32, um, I was able to quit my job and travel for 11 months. And I did this with a job I had at that point, um, I had $50,000 worth of school debt and I was making 34 grand a year as an ESL teacher at a nonprofit. And so, and I was living by myself. I didn't have a partner to split expenses with. Um, I was living in like a really nice neighborhood. Um, my parents weren't supporting me. So like hearing that it's very, you, you probably wouldn't expect that somebody in that situation would have been able to quit their job and travel for 11 months. But the reason I was able to do that is because I had created really good habits around spending and earning. It wasn't a goal. The goal, I mean, like, yes, I had a goal to travel, but I had habitualized the way I spend and the way I navigate spending. And even after I came back and I, you know, I still, I now I earn much more than 34 grand a year, but many of um, my spending habits, I haven't experienced a lot of lifestyle creep. I'm not, you know, Mm -hmm. like, Let's say I earn 200 grand a year. I'm not spending necessarily like I earn 200 grand a year. And I'm also not spending like I earn 34 grand a year, but mm-hmm. I haven't had that huge lifestyle creep because I've habitualized the way I navigate money. So I, I've, I saw in my own life how this stuff plays out. Um, and also in my own life, I've witnessed what happens um, a few before I got serious about um learning about habits and putting the stuff into action, I trained for a, um, a 5k obstacle race, you know, the kind where you like crawl through the mud and then climb mm-hmm. over a thing. And it was absolutely a goal. And I trained really hard and I took it really seriously. And I won my heat. And you know what I did after I crossed that finish line? 
I completely stopped doing it because I had reached the goal. And so I didn't need, there was no reason for me to work out five days a week. There was no reason for me to be lifting weights or, you know, running because I had, I had completed the goal. So I could sort of see in my own life, like, okay, when I habitualize things, these, these good things, these good results that I want continue for years and years. But when I'm pursuing a goal, it, it has a different result. And again, there are some things in our lives that are, that are goals and there's no way you can habitualize it. And, and sometimes a goal can be more, can be more motivating than a habit. But I think it's really important to understand the difference and understand like which situations would a habit be helpful for and which situations is, is a goal. Like, for example, like getting a book deal, that's a goal. The mm-hmm. habit that you create is is writing every day that would help you reach that goal. Okay. Okay. I like that distinction. It's really funny you say that because 10 years ago, I ran a 10-miler, mm-hmm. Cherry Blossom in D.C. It was gorgeous and beautiful, and I've run probably twice since that day. Yeah. It's incredibly just, common. Yeah. I didn't realize how common it was because I always make that joke. So talk to me a little bit more. So you have the distinction between, let's say, the book deal versus sitting down every single day and writing. But mm-hmm. what is another potential goal where you wouldn't be able to add a habit behind it? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I think things like I want to be able to bench press X amount. I want mm-hmm. to adopt a baby. I want to get pregnant. I want to get married. I want to buy a house. Like there are habits you know, like, I guess, looking at Zillow or, um, I don't know, monitoring your fertility. Um, there mm-hmm. are, you know, habits that kind of support it, but there are some things that are that are binary. Either it happens or it doesn't. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you can make it easier with habits, but there are certain things that are, they're just goals. That, that's all there is to it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what are some of the goals that come up when you talk to the different students of the Make It Stick Habit School? What are some of the biggest goals and habits that they have? Um, a lot, there's a lot of, um, health related, um, habit stuff or goal stuff. So there's a lot of, I want to move my body X times per week. I want to be able to run a, you know, a seven minute mile. I want to be able to bench press X amount. Um, I want to, and there's also a lot of ending bad habits. So I want to stop eating mindlessly. I want to stop drinking. I want to stop eating this specific type of food that I know, you know, doesn't make me feel good. Um, a lot of people um, want to develop some sort of daily creative habit. So they either want to write every day, um, they want to draw every day, they want to collage every day. Um, and there's also a lot of people who want to stop smoking or stop drinking. Or, mm-hmm. And also people want to um, reduce their, their phone use. Mm, that's a big one for me these days. Yep. Huge. I... Mm-hmm. My biggest things lately have been reducing my alcohol consumption, reducing my phone use, and um, movement goals as well. I say it's not necessarily for me about weight loss. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. about building muscle, although those are nice byproducts, but it's about an hour per day of movement of any yep. form. And I think and I think just also removing that that judgment from yourself. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be like going to CrossFit for an hour or five days a week. It can be like maybe one day you're going to CrossFit and then the other days you're going for a hike or walking the dog. Like I think mm-hmm. removing the desire for perfection is a big deal. And one of the things we talk about in habit school is what I call the bookmark habit. Mm-hmm. Um, because people, y- you will build a habit faster if you do something um, every day, seven days a week. 
Um, mm-hmm. But especially with stuff like um, movement or or like writing a thousand words every day or something like that, it can be un- unrealistic and unsustainable to to do that seven days a week. Um, but so I really recommend a bookmark habit, which is like a, a light version of the habit that you do maybe at the same time of day as as you would do like the full habit. So you don't lose your place in the habit and you don't lose momentum. So mm-hmm. maybe it's a Sunday, you don't have time to spend an hour writing, but, you know, spend 15 minutes writing. Um, maybe you don't have time to go to the gym for an hour, but you usually go to the gym from eight to nine. And maybe this time you take the dog for a walk from eight to eight fifteen. It just, it helps build the neural pathways. It helps you stay committed and it keeps you from, you know, falling off the wagon and beating yourself up because you failed yet again, which is a, which is a terrible neural pathway and a terrible <laughs> uh, mental process to have that does not set you up for success. Yeah, no kidding. So what are some of your bookmark habits right now? Um, my bookmark habits are, um, so the habit that I built most recently in my, um, because every time I run habit school, I, I go through the process with my students because I know mm-hmm. it works. Um, and so the habit that I built most recently was um, stretching and or lifting weights before I went to bed. And I, I include the and or because some nights I'm not, I don't want to lift weights or maybe I pulled a muscle or I spent all day gardening. That's okay because I gave myself and or so I can stretch. Um, Mm -hmm. Some days, 15 minutes is not doable. I'm falling asleep when I sit on the floor. You know what? As long as I'm doing it for, as long as I do something, I, I do a bookmark habit. Maybe it's just, you know, like doing a hurdle stretch for a minute and a half on both legs. That's enough. I'm still doing it. I'm still like staying in the habit. I'm not, you know, starting to break the habit and like just getting directly into bed. So that's that's one of my bookmark habits is just doing something that's related to either weights or stretching for some amount of time before I get directly into bed. Hmm. I'll have to think about my bookmark habit. Mm-hmm. I appreciate this. <laughs> um, and so I'm really curious. You mentioned the people who are trying to stop a specific habit, which leads me into and how to Indiana Jones yes. it. What does that mean to you? Um, so if you guys have watched Indiana Jones, I don't remember uh, off the top of my head. I don't remember which one it is. But there's a there's a famous scene where he is rather problematically trying to steal a, you know, important artifact from a mm-hmm. tribe that's not his. Um, <laughs> but he wants to steal. I believe it's a crystal skull. And it's in this like booby trapped cave. And he knows that if he takes the skull, just takes it, it will trigger the booby traps. Um, so he has a bag of sand that weighs the same as the crystal skull and he swaps them out really quickly. Um, and so when it comes to breaking habits, this is what I suggest doing because, and the science backs all this up because it's not, most people, most of us do not have the emotional or psychological wherewithal to go cold turkey. Some people do, um, but just, I mean, biologically, psychologically, in terms of your neuroplasticity, it's pretty hard to just go cold turkey. So it's Mm -hmm. much easier instead of instead of, you know, you get home, you're used to getting home from work and having a glass of wine instead of just like getting home from work and then like, oh, like, you know, doing chores or something. Instead of having a glass of wine, maybe have like some LaCroix in a cocktail glass or maybe (laughs) have you know, a little half glass of wine that you cut with some sparkling water or have um, a cup of tea or do something else that's pleasure, you know, have um, a piece of fruit that you legitimately enjoy. I think a mistake that a lot of people make is trying to be what I call too virtuous. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Because when you're going from something really pleasurable that is maybe not very good for you, like if you're trying to go from like eating pizza for lunch to salad, like that's not, nobody wants to do that. <laughs> right. So like what is something that's help, like maybe a slightly smaller piece of pizza plus salad or like a pasta salad that has cheese and tomatoes in it? Like, mm-hmm. what is something that doesn't feel deprivational, that's still kind of like in the same family as the as the, you know, thing that you're trying to do less of? That's really funny. I'm actually sitting here right now with a glass of kombucha mixed mm-hmm. with LaCroix because yes. my I got this tip actually from a friend. So we are at a party this weekend. And so she was she was sipping a LaCroix with kombucha because she's trying to drink less. And so she mm-hmm. said having it in a cocktail glass stimulates that same pleasure dopamine part of her brain without Mm -hmm. the alcohol so i love that you're on the same page with that yeah so what are some other little tips that you have in terms of starting a habit i know you have an entire school built around this but what's Mm -hmm. a what's a good place to start for somebody who has that habit that just popped into their head as they're listening that they would like to implement or break the first thing that i would say most importantly is the two most important things are, number one, you should only work on one habit at a time. I know, especially in January, um, maybe around your birthday, a lot of us have this tendency to be like, I want to burn it all to the ground and build a, build a better version of myself mm-hmm. in 17 different areas of my life. That's not sustainable and it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Like, if you try to start running every day, going vegan, calling your mom every weekend, meditating every morning, journaling every morning, no more screens after 8 p.m. If you try and do all of that, the likelihood that you're going to succeed is basically none. And when you fail, you will reinforce the narratives that most of us have. I can't do this. I'm not good at it. Nothing ever sticks. Mm -hmm. So number one, one habit at a time. Um, Number two, we've all read the... um, the women's magazine article that tells us that it takes 21 days to a new habit. That is complete BS. Mm-hmm. It is It varies from 12 days to 265, depending on the person and depending on the habit. The average is 65 days. So that's like three times as long as you thought it was. Mm-hmm. So a lot of us, we do something for 21 days and it's not a habit yet. And we think we ruined it. We think, you know, we feel bad about ourselves. Or, or maybe we don't like protect the habit enough and we think like, oh, yeah, no, I don't drink anymore. I can totally go to happy hour with my friends. Maybe you can't because realistically, it's probably going to take you 65 days to really solidify that habit. You're not ready to like put yourself in the way of temptation on like day 22. Hmm. Um, and the other thing that I think is really important is habit change is, is already hard. And if you're trying to change a habit for someone other than you. If it's not your idea, if you're doing it because your partner wants you to or because your best friend wants you to or because like all your friends are doing it, that is not motivation that 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 motivation will not sustain you. It's already hard enough if doing it for like outside approval will not sustain you. So change a habit because you want to Mm -hmm. take on one habit at a time and realize that it's probably going to take you like a a full two months to really build the habit. Mm -hmm. And, and even then, it depends. It varies base. It varies from habit to habit and from person to person. Like maybe you build your running habit in two months, but that doesn't mean that every habit is going to be solidified in two months. Like your flossing habit, you could maybe maybe you solidify that in twenty days, but your running habit takes like a hundred. And so, like, be gentle with yourself and release expectations about how long it's going to take 
um, for that for that habit to change. I I love all of those different caveats, and I know you've done a lot of research on this, so I'm glad to have you break down some of the myths. And I'm especially glad that you mentioned this idea of not self-sabotaging and then reinforcing your own mm-hmm. story. Yeah. Um, so we talk about this a lot in life coaching is this idea that we have these thoughts, these feelings, actions, results, and that result is always going to validate the original thought. Mm-hmm. And so if you are constantly setting yourself up to not actually follow through – Mm-hmm. then you're always going to be proving yourself, right? Mm-hmm. So um, what's a what's a habit that I, I know I keep going back to your story, but what's a habit that you've had where you were, it was the hardest one to implement. You kind of had that tricky thing where you were on the verge of not having it fully cemented. Oh gosh. I would say I have been back and forth on caffeine several times. Mm-hmm. Um, so I gave up caffeine completely, like 100% never was drinking it um, because I wanted to, because I my sleep wasn't great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I gave up caffeine completely for probably like eight months. Um, and it didn't really affect my sleep that much. Like it helped, but not in as, it didn't feel like for as, for as much as I enjoy this coffee, for as much as I enjoy this jolt of energy and that I'm denying myself, my sleep has not improved nearly as much as you would hope it would after making the uh-huh. sacrifice. Um, so now I drink um, one, one and a half cups of coffee every day, like like proper coffee with caffeine every day. Um, <laughs> mostly because, and it doesn't, and my sleep is the same as it was when I wasn't drinking any coffee. So I think that's why it's hard to, I haven't particularly stuck with that habit because I was like, well, what, what's the point? (laughs) Like, it's not, it's Mm -hmm. not doing what I want it to do. Um, and I feel like I gave it enough of a, like I I had stopped, I had stopped completely, but you know, it it wasn't giving me the results that I wanted. So I was like, why am I denying myself this thing that I legitimately enjoy when I'm not getting any results from it? I have totally had that experience. So it's interesting. I've been drinking significantly less. And Mm -hmm. if you ask me to talk about the pros versus the cons, drinking less actually has more cons on paper for me. Mm. Oh, interesting. But but there's somehow that it works out in my brain Mm -hmm. that it's worth it. I can't really tell you why, but it is. It feels 100% worth it. But I actually have the same debate with caffeine where I'm like, it's just not worth it. And I'm I'm okay having a vice or two. Yeah. And also, like, <laughs> there's a bunch of um, there's a bunch of science that, like, limited amounts of caffeine is actually good for you. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, I'm not drinking, you know, three espressos at, at 5 p.m. Um, but, but, yeah, so that's – I'd say that's the habit that I've sort of, quote, unquote, fallen off the wagon with. I have an unopened vanilla latte espresso next to me, so yes. I guess I shouldn't open it now. <laughs> it's too late. Um, shoot. <laughs> um, so I I was actually thinking a lot about these different programs that you're working on. So obviously, we've talked a lot about habit formation. You also have the No Grocery Challenge and mm-hmm. Bank Boost, which we'll get into. Mm-hmm. But I was wondering, what is the common thread for you between all of these different courses? Well, I say my elevator pitch is that I help people spend their time, money, and energy on purpose, um, mm. which is you know, habits and and choosing to build or break habits really affect the life that you live. Because like I said, so much of our, so many of our choices are habitualized. And so when you're making, especially a negative choice um, from a place of habit, you're not doing it on purpose. Like Mm -hmm. 
you know, when you when you go to Target after work and wander around like a zombie and inadvertently spend one hundred and twenty dollars on throw pillows, like you aren't doing that on purpose. It just, you know, has become a habit that when you have a bad day, you go to Target or, you know, you click onto anthropology.com or you go home and open the freezer and eat a bunch of pizza rolls. Not that I've ever done that. <laughs> um, so and and also like bank boost and put your money where you're happy is it's about making your spending align with your values. I mean, so, so, so many, so many people and so many of my students look at their bank account statements and their credit card statements and say, like, I don't know where the money goes. Like mm-hmm. I make a good amount. I know how much my mortgage or my rent is. I don't understand where this money is going. Um, and no, and the no grocery challenge is about reducing food waste, reducing the time that we spend, like just running to the grocery store for one ingredient. Um, because food is a huge expense and food waste is a huge, a huge, it, it contributes very significantly to, to climate change. Um, and, and also it feels bad to like throw away five dollars worth of fresh pineapple that rotted in the back of the fridge because you forgot about it so to me the common denominator is making choices on purpose whether that's how you spend your time or how you spend your money or how you spend your energy i love that and i actually was listening back to all of the season one podcast that i recorded and it immediately stuck out to me that every single person in some way shape or form usually directly but sometimes indirectly mentioned the importance of living in alignment with your values mm-hmm. so i love that you're staying on theme i didn't even tell you that that was the theme. <laughs> and here you go <laughs> I love um, so i am i love this idea of the no grocery challenge so full disclosure i'm obsessed with talking about composting now because i'm oh, yes. composting yes. <laughs> um and so this has become a much bigger priority for me in my own life but i also love the idea that you could be motivated by obviously the climate change aspect of it but you could also just be quote unquote totally selfish about yeah, it and for sure. have it be about your own money Absolutely. Like, I hate grocery shopping. I'm incredibly fortunate that my husband weirdly loves it. Um, So he does all of the grocery shopping. But like, I hate grocery shopping. I hate that feeling of like, I'm going to make this recipe. Oh, no, we're out of this ingredient. I'm just going to like pop to the grocery store really quick. And then somehow it's like 45 minutes later. And I've spent like 40 bucks because oh, that thing was on sale. I hate the feeling of throwing out food that was perfectly good. Um, Mm -hmm. and also like the statistics around food waste and, and climate change are bonkers. If food waste was a country, it would be the third largest producer of greenhouse gases after the United States and China. Wow. Yeah. And, and the average American, um, spends $1,500 on food they don't eat and throws out up to 40% of the food that they buy. I've I've even read these stats yes. in your emails and I'm still I'm really shocked. It is mind blowing. It is mind blowing. But even aside from that, like, wouldn't you rather just like not go to the grocery store? Like who likes standing in line and scanning your produce? Nobody. That's not enjoyable. Like and also like it feels good to be capable. It feels good to be able to like open your cupboards and be like, I got it. I know exactly what I can make. We had some friends over for brunch last weekend, and these are fancy friends who like fancy things, who live in a high-income neighborhood, and I made them a beautiful strata that looked very fancy that was literally made from old hot dog buns, and 
and um, tomatoes that I cut the bad parts out of. And it looked beautiful and they loved it. I love it. What are your other top recipes that you've managed to whip together with the No Grocery Challenge? Okay. So the the easy go-tos <laughs> are strata, which is basically a savory bread pudding. It's just you any carb, any bread situation you have, pitas, uh-huh. bagels, hot dog buns, anything, plus whatever vegetables you have, whatever cheese you have, and you put eggs on top of it and you bake it. Um, frittatas, same deal without any bread. <laughs> um, smoothies, blended soups, always super easy. Um, and I also think that if you understand like herbs and spices, like it's pretty easy to, okay, if I use these herbs and spices, it makes this rice taste like it's Middle Eastern. If I use these herbs and spices, it makes it taste Mexican. Mm -hmm. If you understand how to, like what flavor profiles go with sort of what style of food, you can make lots of sort of your more new, like tofu, rice, bread, noodles, taste kind of any way you want to without spending a lot of extra money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so where would somebody start if they are listening to this podcast right now and they're like, I don't have that much stuff in my pantry or in my freezer. I don't have as much as Sarah does. <laughs> what would you tell them to do? Well, I would say, well, first of all, you are do. you really <laughs> being honest with yourself? Um, uh-huh. Because like, you know, we live in a in a 1200 square foot bungalow like we have a totally normal size fridge a totally normal slash maybe even small kitchen and i could you know and we went grocery shopping you know like five days ago so it's not like there's so much stuff and i'm Mm -hmm. positive that i could cook for at least another week and a half without going grocery shopping um So I would say, shameless plug, buy the No Grocery Challenge guidebook and cookbook because that will help you with everything. Um, mm-hmm. But barring that, if you have bread at, in your cupboard, if you have rice in your cupboard, if you have eggs, if you have noodles, that you're all, that's all you like. You can base multiple meals around all of those things. And I bet that everybody listening has one or all of those things in their cupboard. If you have mm-hmm. if you have those things. And some vegetables, <laughs> you have enough to cook something. I host book club at my house. And so my new goal is to host book club without going to the grocery yes, store. Yes, you can do it. I swear <laughs> to God, if you just like plate things nicely and like put mm-hmm. some herbs or like a drizzle of olive oil on top of something, everybody's into it. Yes, absolutely. So what I do, and so I actually, full disclosure, do not have the No Grocery Challenge, though I should definitely log off and go buy it. Um, But I I consider myself pretty crafty, but um, I just will look at a base ingredient Mm -hmm. and then just Google, like if I have cream cheese, Mm -hmm. I Google cream cheese appetizer. Yes. Um, And it is, I've been able to put together a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. So what are, what are a few other tips or spoiler alerts for the, from the book to tease people? Um, well, I would say <laughs> one of the first things is to shop, stop shopping. And this applies to everything in your life. Stop shopping for the person you wish you were. Like, mm. I don't like salads. <laughs> like I, lo- I love vegetables. Mm-hmm. I hate like stabbing little leaves it's it's not filling. It's weirdly time consuming. It took me years to figure this out. I would buy salad mixes and then they would rot in the crisper. So don't do that. Like if you know that you are not somebody who likes to make complex recipes, stop wishing that you were and buying stuff for your expensive complex res- recipe. So number one, and, and again, this applies to everything in your life. If you don't go to cocktail parties very often, stop buying cocktail dresses. 
If you, mm-hmm. you know, have multiple, if you have multiple children and multiple pets, stop buying white couches. That is not for you. Um, uh-huh. So <laughs> stop shopping for the person you wish you were. Um, also, I think it's really put in, put in the time and effort. And I outline this you know, exhaustively in the book to actually figure out how your stuff should be stored. Because I think a lot of us have this tendency to buy a bunch of produce, which is very expensive and, you know, obviously spoils quickly. We just buy it and like chuck it all in the crisper. Um, But different things should be stored differently. Like some things should be stored in water. Some things shouldn't be in the fridge to begin with. Some things shouldn't be stored. Like you shouldn't be storing your apples and your avocados and bananas together unless you want your avocados to get ripe in like a minute and a half. Or, mm-hmm. you know, because they, um, apples and bananas emit, pheromones is not the right term, but they emit a gas that, ra- <laughs> that ripens other stuff around them. So, like, actually put in the time, if you keep buying avocados and they keep going bad too fast, like, figure out why that is. So, put in the time and effort to actually um, store things the way they should be stored. And also, controversial opinion alert, stop storing your produce in the crisper because you can't eat what you can't see. So I yeah. always say if there's something in your fridge that you're trying to eat less of, like cheese or cupcakes or bacon, put the stuff that you want to eat less of in the crisper and put your produce at eye level because you're a lot more likely to eat the stuff that you can see. And it's less likely to go bad if you see it. That's so simple. I never would have thought of it. Mm-hmm. I love it. And I also have to do a PSA on behalf of my sister-in-law that tomatoes do not go no, in the fridge. they do not go in the fridge. <laughs> they do not go in the fridge. They're, they get all mealy and flavorless when you put them in the fridge. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I talked about on a solo episode on the podcast was the value of doing a trash audit. Ooh. And so have you ever done that before? No. Okay, it's really fun. I think you actually might genuinely enjoy I that. I'm you. not being sarcastic. <laughs> um, so basically, a trash audit is a way to reduce your waste mm-hmm. by figuring out what your waste is. And so that can be food waste, but it can also be plastics, wrappings, anything that you want to use less of, paper towels. And so for a certain period, probably about a week or maybe even a month, you track every single thing that you throw away. Interesting. Some people are going to think this is a nightmare. I had so much fun doing it. <laughs> um, but you're, it just makes you, one, awareness. Mm-hmm. It makes you incredibly cognizant of what you're throwing away. Mm-hmm. Um, and it shows you exactly the things that you're throwing away so that you can make those changes. And so if you're throwing away a lot of food waste, that would be something that you could track in a trash audit mm-hmm. um, and figure out, are you going to start composting? You should. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> and or how – sorry. Um, and or how will you reduce your waste mm-hmm. um, for your food? So it's – I highly recommend it. It sounds – I mean, I'm totally into it. That sounds amazing. <laughs> so what are the some of the biggest things that you were throwing away? It sounds like definitely produce came up. But was there anything yeah, it was else mostly... that you were throwing away? Um, I would say a lot of it was um, was lettuce and spinach because I don't like salads, and it took me a long time right. to figure <laughs> that out. Um, and also, I think there were a lot of things that I was throwing away that many, many people throw away that I actually could be using um, in other ways. Like, this is just a small thing, but when I, I eat a lot of berries because they're good for you. Um, and when I would, I would cut the tops off of my strawberries and just compost, you know, that, and I, and I wasn't like meticulously only cutting off the green part. Like I would just kind of chop off the top, like 
one fourth or one fifth of the strawberry. Um, and in the summer I eat, you know, like two or three pints a, a week and I would just throw those away, but the tops are totally edible. Um, and I was ending up, you know, cutting a lot of strawberry off. So I just started saving those. I put them in a freezer bag. And then when I make smoothies, I just use strawberry tops. Um, so I use strawberry tops, half an avocado, and then, um, steamed cauliflower. And it ends up looking and tasting like a strawberry smoothie. And so I didn't have to compost all of those strawberry tops and also strawberries expensive. So I saved myself a bunch of money because I'm, you know, eating the, the whole strawberry, but still saving and using the strawberry tops. So when you say strawberry top, do you actually mean the green part? The green part and also like the little bit at the top because I wasn't like coring the strawberry. I wasn't like pulling off the green part. I would just use a knife to like chop off the top, like, you know, 10% of of the strawberry. But if you eat like three pints of strawberries a week, that ends up to being like a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So have you run any numbers behind how much money you've been able to save or how much food waste you've reduced? Well, so I, the way I do my no grocery challenge is I do it the last week of every month. And that doesn't work for everybody, but because we're a family of four, like there's enough food left over um, from three weeks of eating that it's, it's not hard to do it for a full week at the end of the month. And I know that we usually spend, depending on if my stepsons are with us or not, we usually spend somewhere between 80 and like $150 a week on groceries. And so that, so we save because we don't go grocery shopping or we just do sort of like little supplemental trips where we buy, you know, like a bag of rice or something. So we're saving between 80 and $150 a month by doing the no grocery challenge. Okay. That adds up. Mm-hmm. No kidding. Um, and so I don't know, take credit, please, if this came from you, but it, at least came from you indirectly <laughs> that I added to my calendar. I have a, a weekly recurring appointment every Wednesday evening, and it just says fridge check. And it's to go through my fridge and look for anything that I might need to freeze or anything that I is at its tail end that I really should use up. Did you come up with that or did I just use your your creativity? I probably <laughs> mentioned it in the okay. past. It's definitely something that I do. And what I, I do mine on Sunday. On Sunday night, I go through and like move everything around and I put stuff at the front of the fridge. Like (laughs) this is so silly, but right now I have a bag of Brussels sprouts that's about to go. And it's literally like propped up exactly at eye level. It's propped up against the Brita filter, against the Brita (laughs) pitcher, like right in my face at exactly eye level to remind myself to eat it for dinner tonight. Um, And also like if you put stuff in the crisper and it's not wrapped up, like you're rotting whatever will like infect all the other stuff too. And it'll start to smell and it's wet. So doing the fridge check and doing it regularly, it helps you, it helps the rot from spreading and it helps you figure out what to use. And the other very obvious tip is like, look at what you have before you go shopping. Mm -hmm. Like I know it's really tempting to like go onto Pinterest and choose a bunch of recipes that are great and then go to the grocery store and buy things exclusively for those recipes, but you will save yourself so much money if you just look at what you already have and base your plans off of mm-hmm. that. Absolutely. And if you look at different ingredients that you could use in more than one recipe. Yes. I do this thing and I am only admitting it because I know I'm not alone where I will look. Something is almost about to go. I don't want to eat it. And instead of just clearing it out, mm-hmm. I leave it in the fridge for a few extra days. Oh, sure. I yes. know I'm not going to eat it. Yes. Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm like. 
<laughs> the chances of me eating it are exponentially less. Yeah. So why do I leave it there? I do not know. Happens to the best of us. <laughs> um, and then I just want to kind of point out, I'm sure that people have made this connection already, but it is really interesting to me, the connection between habits mm-hmm. and the no grocery challenge. And so a lot of the stuff that you've talked about is really habit-based changes that are affecting your food and your food waste. Yeah, absolutely. Like, if you make a habit of looking at what you have before you go grocery shopping, make a habit of not putting your produce directly in the crisper, make a habit of like putting the healthy foods that you want to eat more of or the foods that are about to go bad at eye level. It's, you know, all of those habits like slowly add up to saving tons of money mm-hmm. and time. Yeah, absolutely. So I would love to segue into bank boost. Mm-hmm. And so I always think of you, and I would be very curious if you have the same opinion of yourself, (laughs) but I always think of you as kind of the antithesis of someone like a Tony Robbins who's super bold and these big kind of loud personality. Mm -hmm. I think you're practical, like I said, really pragmatic, Mm -hmm. actionable, small tips. Mm -hmm. And so... I know that you have some strong opinions about the abundance mindset, (laughs) and I imagine that that feeds into the philosophies that you talk about in Bank Booth. So talk to me about abundance mindset. Well, so I have like, I, I mostly, I would say I take issue with um, manifesting money. Um, so like, I, I, I totally believe in the power of positive thinking. I totally believe in like being open to opportunities. I totally believe in like the importance of figuring out what you want and like talking to people about you, about what you want and, you know, opening your eyes to, you know, oh, wow. You know, that opportunity presented itself and it happens to really align with what I want. Yes. Agreed. Um, but it's a lot easier <laughs> to to have those experiences when you're coming from a place of privilege. Like mm-hmm. my parents both have college degrees. They had stable careers their entire lives. They're still married. They lived in a place with a really low cost of living. They are not, you know, they are mentally and emotionally healthy. I I was raised in a supportive environment. It is, I'm physically and emotionally healthy. I have a loving, supportive spouse. I have a master's degree and an undergraduate degree. All of these things really make it easier for me to quote unquote manifest success because of all Mm -hmm. of these things. It's a lot harder to manifest success when you know, because of institutionalized racism <laughs> or, you know, mm-hmm. you were raised by somebody with major mental health issues or you have or you yourself have mental health issues or you struggle with an eating disorder or you live in a tiny town where there are no job opportunities. It's much harder to manifest when, you know, you're already at a disadvantage. And so how does that feed bank boost and the philosophies that you talked about within that oh we we don't we don't (laughs) there's no manifesting in bank boost (laughs) Um, (laughs) you can take bank boost and manifest all you want but there it's not (laughs) built into the curriculum got it got it (laughs) but so bank boost is basically about um for six weeks and it's a it's a course that i run live um but if you want to the course is based on a on a book if you want to Download the book for 17 whole dollars and work through it yourself. You can do that at any time. Um, But so Bank Boost is when over the course of six weeks, 
we all as a group simultaneously um, divide our sort of discretionary spending in half. So we, we reduce our spending by 50% while also doing a bunch of stuff to bring in extra money or res- what I call rescue money, which is money of yours that's out there in the world in places it shouldn't be. Um, and also we, we together actively take steps. We do things that make us uncomfortable in the name of reducing our spending or bringing in more money. And this is different for everybody because being uncomfortable is different for everybody. So, and we, we literally have, I have a chart of 20 uncomfortable things. It's a, it's a sticker chart. And every time you do something uncomfortable in service of bank boost, you get to put a sticker on it. So this Mm -hmm. might be you and your friends go out to dinner. Everybody has steak and cocktails. You have soup and salad. And when the bill comes, they want to split it evenly. It's uncomfortable to tell them like, no, I I don't want to split it evenly. My meal was $9 and yours was 45. Um, Mm -hmm. It maybe it's uncomfortable to send a third follow-up email to potential client. Maybe it's uncomfortable to ask for a raise. It's uncomfortable to promote yourself on social media. It's uncomfortable to apply for that job that you think you're not qualified for. Um, It's uncomfortable to call your internet provider and try and negotiate your bill down, but doing those things dramatically increases the amount of money in your bank account. And so how have people found money in places out in the world? Oh, my gosh. Um, Well, a lot of it is um, filing insurance claims, finally submitting expense reports to your um, to your employer. I mean, you know, you travel for work, you put everything on your credit card, you're supposed to claim it and ask for reimbursement and everybody forgets to Um, asking people to pay um, outstanding invoices, asking people to pay you back, um, negotiating your bills down, examining um, all those subscriptions that we sign up for the first 30 days for free, and then they have your credit card, and then they automatically start billing you and you forget about it, Um, returning things that you don't like or didn't use, asking for refunds on things that didn't work, um, looking at the warranties for stuff that have failed, um, asking your landlord to pay for something, like finding the gumption to like ask your landlord to reimburse you for that thing that you bought or installed that they said they were going to, you know, reimburse you for all kinds of stuff. Interesting. What's your biggest success about reclaiming money? Oh, gosh. Um, Well, I don't really have to reclaim that much money, mostly because like this is a system that I developed and I've Analyzed it, and I've been doing it for years and years. Um, But I would say, probably, probably the biggest success that I usually have in Bank Boost is, and I try and I talk to my students about this a lot, is like just just try something, like try a bunch of stuff, because you never know, especially when it comes to what I call the earning spree. You you never know what's going to work. There have been like services, like I'm in the process of starting a completely second business that has nothing to do with anything I do that started because of Bank Boost. Like something that I was like, oh, this is a skill set that I have that I don't use. I'm going to just like email a few people and see if they're interested. Mm-hmm. And it's just taken off. Um, and there and there are tons of students of mine who have like one of our students, one of my students um, is a, she's a mortgage broker. Um, you know, so people use her to to buy houses. And one of her one of her clients, you know, closed on their house. And as a thank you gift, she very quickly like painted a little water water painting, uh, watercolor of their new house that they were moving into and gave it to them. 
And they just lost their minds. They were th- absolutely <laughs> thrilled. And it took her like 20 minutes. And now she has an Etsy shop where she does that. So I think wow. one of the biggest takeaways is, and honestly, this is something that I have learned over after a decade of being online is we, <laughs> we have these ideas. We like to have these ideas about what's going to work, what's going to make money, what's not going to make money. Um, and I've sort of released any expectation or any belief that I, that I know that I can predict. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can make it more likely, but I think it's a lot easier um, emotionally and literally to just try a bunch of stuff and see what works because you can't necessarily predict it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to go back to some of your students. So I was thinking as you were talking about Bank Boost and the different exercises and different activities that you have students do. And so what what are the biggest reasons that your students haven't done these actions up until this point? Is it that they haven't known or is there is there more kind of mental and psychological reasoning behind it? Well, I think a lot of a lot of this stuff sort of falls under the heading of when something can be done at any time, it, it never gets done. So mm-hmm. we, you know, we all theoretically know like, oh, yeah, like that they, they raised our Internet bill again. But I should do something about that. Um, but it, it's hard to get excited about it. But when you're in a private Facebook group of hundreds of people who have committed to doing this over six weeks and you see people coming into the Facebook group and being like, oh, my gosh, like I'm going to save three hundred dollars this year because I just negotiated my Internet bill down then it's mm-hmm. it's really motivating to do it. So I think a lot of it is people, they know they should do it, but there's nobody holding them accountable. Um, or they don't, you know, like when you're at a barbecue with your friends, nobody's talking about like, oh my gosh, you guys, I, I just negotiated my internet bill down. But if you're part of a, <laughs> a group of people who are doing that, um, it just reminds you that that is something that you can do. Also, I think a lot of it, I mean, it's it's scary. Like asking for a raise is scary. Promoting yourself mm-hmm. is scary. Offering a new service is scary. Um, but w- in in Bank Boost, whenever somebody does something uncomfortable, they come into the Facebook group and say, like, here's the uncomfortable thing that I did. And it's amazing. Like, so so one of one of the people in Bank Boost, she made 42, I don't know what her job was or is, but she made 42 cold calls in one day. She said Dang. that she had to stop and take um, two different showers because she was stress sweating so much. So when somebody <laughs> like says that that's what they did and like your thing that you're trying to work up to is like sending a follow up email, you're like, OK, if she can do that, I can totally <laughs> uh-huh. like send an email that worst case scenario is going to get ignored. Yes. I love this idea because we talk a lot in life coaching about the idea of discomfort on purpose. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's what you're helping facilitate with your students. And so I actually, I made myself a shiny new Trello board, which is called 100 Rejections. And so I am going to do, I was going to say I'm going to do 100 sales calls, but I'm probably going to do a lot more than Mm that. Um, But as many sales calls as I need to do to get to 100 rejections with the caveat that it has to be a qualified lead, so I don't want to waste anyone's time, yeah. mine or anyone else's. And then that I have to do a postmortem after every call to make sure I'm iterating. So oh, it doesn't wow, good stagnant. for you. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, this idea of rejection on purpose and discomfort on purpose is surprisingly exciting once you embrace yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, yes. Once you, if you try, like, because, so we have our 20 uncomfortable things chart mm-hmm. and like, 
for for us, the way we structure it is you get you get to decide if it's uncomfortable mm-hmm. and you get to put a sticker on the chart regardless of the outcome. So like it's uncomfortable to pitch that person and she accepted the pitch. I still get to put it on my chart. Uh-huh. Um, but like just knowing like I get this qualifies, like it's a huge motivator, like seeing empty slots at the bottom of my uncomfortable chart. Like, OK, well, what else can I do? Mm-hmm. Have you read the book Deep Work by chance? No. So highly recommend. It's one of my favorite books right now, but it's about um, basically digital detoxing. And so he actually talks about building a habit. And so you've talked about reducing phone use. So it ties in really dovetails nicely with that. But it's about building a deep work habit. So you're turning your phone on airplane mode. You're actually absorbed and concentrated and focused on your activity that you're working on. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he does a chart as well to track so that you can actually build that habit. So Mm -hmm. it would be right up your alley. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So um, when you think about, again, these different areas that you're working on, so related to money and food waste reduction um, and living a life on purpose, is there anything that I haven't asked you about these different areas that you feel like listeners should absolutely know about? Well, I would say... A lot of my work starts with understanding what makes you happy. Like Mm -hmm. you need to build the habits that you're building should be habits that support the life that you want, a life that makes you happy, which is not to say that like running every morning, even even in the rain, even when it's hot is necessarily going to make you happy in that very moment or that, you know, not going to Target and not buying a cute throw pillow. It it might not make you happy in the moment, but it serves it serves the greater happiness. But I think a lot of it starts with understanding that what makes you happy. And I've and when I say that, a surprising number of people tell me, "Okay, great, but I I don't know what makes me happy. Um, And there are ways to figure that out. If you Google yes and yes, how to figure out what makes you happy. (laughs) I wrote an exhaustive blog (laughs) post about it. Um, But I would say before you, you know, before you start considering your spending, before you start building habits, before you start goal setting, make for sure that you understand what makes you happy and what you're working towards. Because I think we've all been in the situation. I mean, some very expensive, incredibly regrettable situations where we thought something would make us happy, where we thought something would fulfill us and we get there and it very much doesn't. So before you start with any of this stuff, I think you need to be honest and clear with yourself about what you're actually working towards and what you actually want and what actually makes you happy. Can you give, I'll definitely link to that to that blog post in the show notes, but can you give a quick teaser on one first step that someone might take in order to figure out what makes them happy? Um, This is incredibly obvious, but just (laughs) notice when you're happy and make a note of it in your phone. Love Um, it. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's very easy, but like, and, and get as specific as you can. So like I found that doing Doing something during a time of day, week, or year when when it is not available to other people makes me incredibly happy. So self-employed, obviously. Um, and for a long time, I would meet up with other self-employed girlfriends and we would drive to this fancy neighborhood of Minneapolis where parking is really expensive and restaurants are really expensive. And we would eat appetizers and drink cocktails on the roof of this fancy bar. And by the time all of this was over, you know, we'd all be out like 70 bucks, but it made me really happy because like doing that at 2 PM on a Tuesday, like felt so decadent. 
But mm-hmm. I can get that same feeling by going to a matinee at the second run theater, two blocks from my house that I can walk to. And the matinee literally costs $2. But I wouldn't have figured that out unless I figured out what makes me happy and what's at the root of that. Because maybe, you know, going to big parties makes you happy. But like, what's at the root of it? Is it because you like being in like a busy atmosphere? Because you like connecting with friends? Because you like, you know, being the the bartender at the party? Is it because you love, you know, making really cool recipes and, you know, going to parties gives you an opportunity to showcase that and for people to fuss over you? Um, <laughs> so the very obvious tr- suggestion is notice when you're happy, look at the specifics of it and literally just make a note in your phone. I just have a quick question for you on that. Do you ever find that people end up falsely identifying their happiness as the kind of dopamine hits of pleasure? So something like I might go out and drink Mm -hmm. and to your point, maybe it's being out and being social and being surrounded by friends. That's actually what's making me happy, but I attribute it to the alcohol. Not too much, which I think sort of speaks to my particular audience. Like most of my audience um, are kind of self-aware enough that they're not like shopping makes me happy. Eating carbs makes me happy. (laughs) Drinking makes me happy. They're usually (laughs) a little bit deeper thinkers than that. But I'm sure that that is like a common, Uh I'm sure that that's something that happens. It, it's interesting. I, yeah, I think about, I feel like your audience wouldn't be like, oh, gossiping and shit talking make <laughs> yeah. me really happy. Usually <laughs> a little bit more evolved than that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love it. Well, thank you so much. And so my last question that I ask every single guest is, what is a book recommendation that you have for listeners and for me? <laughs> oh, gosh. Sure. Uh, well, I would say my favorite novel of all time is East of Eden, which probably everybody read in high school. It's But if you haven't read it as an adult when you're not being forced to read it, I would encourage you to reread it. Um, because Perfect. it's an amazing book. Um, in terms of personal development, um, my two favorite books are uh, The Desire Map from Danielle Laporte and Your Money or Your Life, um, huh. which is about aligning your values and your spending, which is something that I think is generally missing um, from the personal finance world. Not enough people think about that. So those are the two um, personal development books that I always recommend. Thank you so much. I have Desire Map. It used to be sitting out on my coffee table. And another guest actually recommended Your Money or Your Life. So that's a two-part yep. recommendation. So Love everyone it. go out and get that one. <laughs> Perfect. Anything else that you want to share before we head off? If anybody is listening and has questions about any of those courses, um, I am on Instagram pretty much every day. Jump in my DMs and ask me any questions about habits or money or happiness or food waste, and I will be happy to answer them. Perfect. Thank you so much. We'll put the link in the show notes. Thank you everyone for listening. And thank you, Sarah, so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Peak Podcast. Your support helps this podcast grow. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and then head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is so much appreciated. And I will see you on the next episode.